please stand for the scripture reading. The book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 47. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean, you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if, you were, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. You may be seated. Well, glad you're in church today and uh, looking forward to spending some time over the next few weeks talking through uh, these series of messages that we're calling uh, Angels and Demons. Dun, dun, dun. Little sound effect right there. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, I was excited to talk about it, but then I had so many people asking this week with real nervousness, like, what are we doing? That it made me even more excited to talk about it. And uh, in all my years pastoring Hope City, going on 15 years uh, regularly preaching to you as your pastor, I've never really taken time or consecutive weeks to talk about this topic. And I'll tell you why. Because I think, and it's probably my baggage, I apologize for you having to deal with my baggage, but I think 
for those of us who were raised in environments that talked about supernatural or um, mystical things, it was, it was very easy to get preoccupied with those things and miss the obvious things that Jesus wants us to do. You would hear me say, you've heard me say this a lot of times, but uh, there, were, there were churches and settings I, were in, I was in where it felt like they wanted us to read between the lines, but we never actually read the lines. We were just always reading between lines. And we were trying to crack codes, but we weren't like loving our enemies and things like that. And so there was this part of me that was like, hey, I'm not really concerned about all of the extra stuff. Let's just focus on obeying the truth that we know, you know. And, and I think I, I could spend some time on that soapbox. I think that's a very valid concern. But I do have to confess to you that um, I believe I've done you a disservice as your pastor because um, we haven't really talked about this spiritual realm, this invisible realm. Um, and I probably have, have made you either believe that it's not real or, even worse, made you believe that you are your biggest enemy. Maybe in all of the teaching and preaching uh, you have come away with the idea that you are your biggest obstacle. You are your biggest enemy. Overcoming your bad habits is your biggest struggle and, and all of those types of things, which there is some truth in that. But you are not your biggest enemy. Please hear that. You are not your biggest enemy. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this topic specifically of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And so let me just start right at the beginning, by defining what spiritual warfare is and what it isn't, because that's a really important starting point. Spiritual warfare is not spiritual paranoia. It's not superstition. It's not, you know, thinking that flat tires are from the devil and parking spots are from God, even though that's okay. Maybe, maybe that's true sometimes. But spiritual warfare is the fight taking place between good and evil for your soul. This is where our starting point is and our working definition for spiritual warfare. It is the fight taking place between good and evil for your soul. And so my first question to you is, did you know that? Did you know that there is a fight taking place for your soul? Because there is. And this is important to note, that Christianity is not just an option where, you know, you find helpful hacks for a better life. You could go to church on Sunday morning, or you could go to the gym, and the gym's good for your mental health, and your church is good for your emotional and spiritual health, and you just kind of pick what works for you. That's not what Christianity is. It's not one of many different philosophies. It's not some form of therapy. Christianity is the commitment to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came and saved our souls through the cross. Are you with me? This is what it means to be a Christian. That you believe that Jesus Christ came. And he didn't just come because he likes you and you needed a little bit of help. No, he came because he, he wanted to save your soul that was destined for death and, and hell. And this is how the Bible describes the experience that we have had. If you're here today and you would say, I'm a Christian, then the Bible describes that experience of placing our faith in Jesus like this. Galatians chapter 1, this is in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing to 
uh, people who were becoming Christians. He said this, he said, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father had planned, in order to, here it is, rescue. Everybody say rescue. He gave his life in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I wonder if you see it that way. I wonder if you think about what Jesus Christ did for you as a rescue from an evil world. Do you feel rescued? Do you feel as if you were trapped, kidnapped, held hostage by the power of the evil power of sin and death and darkness? And Jesus came on a rescue mission, and on that day or that moment in your life when the Holy Spirit got a hold of your heart, and opened your heart to the love and the truth of Jesus Christ, and you put your faith in him, do you feel as if you were rescued? Because if you're a Christian, you didn't just find a church or say a prayer. You were rescued. And whether you realize it or not, you have joined the rebels. You are part of the resistance. This is what it means to be a Christian, that we are living in an evil world. We'll get to that in a second. But we're living in an evil world, and Jesus Christ, and the power of the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, got a hold of our hearts, and he rescued us. And we can either go back to our cap, you know, the person who's captured us, or we can join the resistance. We can join the rebels, and to be a Christian means to live in this evil world as part of the resistance, part of the rebels. And God, when we put our faith in him, he fills us with his spirit. The Bible says the same spirit, we just celebrated it last week, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. He doesn't just let you float, you know, as part of the rebels in this evil world, hoping that you'll make it. He fills you with the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And then... <laughs> He sends us out to be rescuers. Now, Jesus Christ does the ultimate rescuing through the cross. But he saves your soul. He rescues you. You join the rebels. You join the resistance. And then you are part of the team that goes and tries to rescue others. You fight evil. You don't get a lightsaber. You're not an Avenger. You're something way cooler than that. You are a Christian. And God fills you with his spirit and he sends you out to fight evil. Now, as soon as I say that, I hesitate. Matter of fact, I, I backspaced on the computer a couple times at this point. And I hesitate because... When you hear me say that you now fight evil, I can imagine someone hearing me say that, and then they think about a person. They think about their boss. He's evil. She's evil. 
or they think about really legitimate evil things in the world and they associate it with a person. And so it's possible, and, and this can derail sometimes, when you start talking about spiritual warfare, Christians can get really angry, and usually it's because of our defensiveness and our passion for the truth of God, and it comes from a good place, but then it kind of derails into a bad place, and we can begin to view certain people as evil, and so I say fight evil, you think of a person, but that's not what I'm talking about. We're going to get to our main scripture today that Mark read for us. But first, I, I want to read a famous verse um, from the Bible that describes the fight that we are in. You may have heard this before. But this is how the Bible describes this idea of spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against human beings but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Did you know that was in the Bible? It's in there. And this is so important. People are not our enemy. Our enemy is working through evil spirits. And so this is where we need to stop and make sure that we're all on the same page. There are evil spirits. Are you still with me out there? Maybe not. Okay. There are evil spirits. Evil is a real thing. We witnessed it this week in our city. Evil. Taking of life. Not necessarily in a person. What the person did was evil, but what it represents is the ultimate evil. It's the stealing of life that God breathed air into the lungs of a, of a person. And through an evil force beyond even our ability to rationalize and understand, someone took it upon themselves to take that life that was made in the image of God. And as you were watching the news or as you were reading reports or whatever it is, if there was something inside of you that just felt as if this isn't right, you were right in that. And what you were experiencing and what you were feeling was the recognition in that moment that there is something more wrong with the world than just education can fix. There's something more missing in the souls of people than just therapy or self-help can fix but that there is evil forces, there are evil forces at work in the world, and they do work through people in different moments and different times. And so it's a real thing. It's a real thing. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second, is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every square inch, every second, claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And so our, our modern views of the world, which kind of makes everything relative, so there's no real clean-cut categories for anything anymore. This is the world we live in. This is the air that we breathe. But the Christian worldview defines Two clear-cut sides and only two sides. 
No ambiguity, no middle ground. Christian, the Christian worldview defines two sides, good and evil. Good and evil. And so, a next question that would be important for us to answer is, what is evil? What is evil? And its most simplest explanation, evil is when something or someone is actively fighting against God. You and I, we are sinners. That doesn't necessarily mean that we are evil, and it's a lot more nuanced and complex than that. But at a basic level, just because we struggle or just because we sin doesn't mean that we're necessarily evil. But in the Bible, and examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the world that we live in today... And again, this is a massive oversimplification, but for the sake of just processing this in our head, evil is not just sinful. Evil is when something or someone is actively fighting against God, God's kingdom, God's truth in the world. And so in the Old Testament, this was seen in kings and nations literally fighting wars against God's people or putting blocks up in front of God's people. And God would tell his people, I want you to go and to completely destroy evil. Through the means of battle, through the means of war, literally I want you to go and I want you to destroy those people because they are actively fighting against my plan, my kingdom, and it's evil. But then in the New Testament, we don't really see that play out as much. In the New Testament, evil was seen in people who were actively working against Jesus and his disciples. And sometimes, sometimes it was through someone actually being possessed by a demonic spirit. And we're probably going to talk about that uh, in the next few weeks if I get the courage. But most of the time, it was through people spreading lies. And that brings us to our scripture today that Mark read for us. Um, in our story... We read Jesus talking to a group of people, and some of them believe in him and others don't. And the ones who don't are offended and they're angry because they feel like Jesus is being presumptuous at, at the least. At the most, he's being incredibly blasphemous. So I want you to get this scene for a second. God is standing in front of these people. God. He's standing in front of them, and they are arguing with him, God, about who God is. And it gets so hostile, and it gets so uh, heated, that they, they call God a demon. And so I want us to go back and read it together again, some of this. And I want to start at verse 31. And read this together again, if y'all can put it back up there for me. It's that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. Look at how Jesus describes, and it's just one way, but look how Jesus describes what it means to be a disciple. You remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then they say back to him, but we are descendants of Abraham. So these are Jewish people who are referencing back, you know, their Old Testament heritage. And then they said, we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Which is comical because if you've read the Old Testament at all, they were slaves the entire time almost. So Jesus says that if you believe my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the people say, we don't need God to free us. We are already free. Does that sound familiar to anybody? This is the setting that's happening. 
Jesus says, in essence, paraphrasing, I'm God. I'm going to tell you some things. If you believe those things and, and truly grab a hold of those things and are faithful to those things, you will be free. And they, these religious people, say, we don't need to be free. We are already free, which describes, I think, the modern society in which we live. Skip down to verse 38. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. Jesus is talking. But you are following the advice of your father. Hmm, interesting. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. If you were really children of Abraham, you would follow his example instead of trying to kill me because I told you the truth. We see this hostility towards the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. And they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. Now, this is a direct dig at Jesus. In essence, what they're saying is, why are you lecturing us like you were, the, the actual Hebrew translation would be a bastard child. So they are now saying to God in the form of Jesus, why are you lecturing us about this like you didn't even have a father? This is how hostile it's getting. And uh, God's our father, they say. 42, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Uh, you can't understand what I'm saying. You can't even hear me. For you are children, here it is, of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is the father of lies. And when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. You are suspicious and cynical of the truth. In your heart, you can't grasp it. And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Now, there is so much going on here, and we don't have time to dissect it all. So what I want to do today, and the starting point for us about spiritual warfare, is I want to keep it really simple, okay? We're going to start really, really, really simple. In these verses, Jesus tells us, a few things about the devil. This is going to be our starting point. First, Jesus tells us that the devil is real. Second, Jesus tells us that the devil is a liar. And third, he tells us that it's entirely possible to serve the devil. This is our starting point. The devil's real. The devil is a liar. And we'll say it this way. The devil can be your master. This is, this is what we read in these 16, 17 verses. This is, just so you know, the longest discourse that Jesus ever gave about the devil. Uh, I think it was like 26 different times Jesus referenced the devil. But this particular passage that we read today is the longest discourse that Jesus gives us about the devil. And so there's more we could take away from it if we want to. But we're just going to start at this place. For those of us who are Christians... We need to know that the devil is real. All he can do is lie. And it's entirely possible for him to be our master. We'll talk about more in the next few weeks. But I think we need to just start with the, with the, with the, uh, the focus of the existence of the devil. That the devil is real and he is actively at war against God. And since God adores you, he hates your guts. Through association, the devil is 100% committed to destroying your life because God is crazy about you. He wants to hurt the people that God loves. 
And in this story is a warning for every single one of us that we would be wise to hear that it's entirely possible to be serving Satan and be completely oblivious to it. That's, if that scares you, it should. Like, if, that's, if there's something about that that's like, whoa, that's the right feeling. That's how I feel about it, too. That in this, in this passage that we read, there is a lesson for us that we would be wise to take a moment and just ponder that it's entirely possible to believe that you are following and committed to and serving God, but actually be serving and submitting yourself to Satan and be completely oblivious to it. I knew it would be quiet. It was very quiet. So much we could say there. But I can't help but notice what's not in the story. Sometimes the takeaways that we can get from Scripture are to notice what's not there. Maybe what we would want to place there, but we can't find there. And this is what I mean. Typically, especially in the charismatic tradition or the Pentecostal tradition, I know many of us grew up in that. I know a lot of you didn't. But for those of us who did, you'll know what I mean by this. That we can think of our role in this spiritual battle or this spiritual war as a boxing match. And we use words like rebuke and attack and cast out. And we talk very uh, boldly and demonstratively about what we're going to do to Satan or how we're going to, you know, go after the darkness and all of those things. And hear me, those are biblical terms. And there are times when that possibly is necessary. But in this story, which again is the longest discourse Jesus had about the devil, we don't see any of that. Jesus doesn't talk about our war with Satan in any type of combative way. He describes the dominant way that we are attacked is with lies. This is the way Jesus describes the battle between our souls or for our souls with Satan. It's not so much rebuking. It's not so much Ouija boards. It's not so much uh, satanic uh, chance. It's lies. It's lies. In other words, this spiritual battle that you and I are in, it's not so much punch versus punch. It's lie versus truth. It's lie versus truth. And the devil uses our mental space as his battlefield to wage war against us. Please hear me. Yes, there's a battle happening in the world. That is true. Probably take some time to talk about that if we can. But the battlefield for your soul is here. It's your mind. The devil uses our mental space as his battlefield to wage war against us. And his favorite tactic is to tell us lies and to speak them so convincingly that we hold them for the truth. You say, well, that, how, do you, well how, how do you know that? How would you say that? Well, anytime in the Bible you can find the first time something happened, it's a foundational principle, always. The first time anything happens in the Bible, there is some type of timeless truth in it. So let's go all the way back to the first time we see Satan speak. And what does he say to Eve? You remember? The first thing out of his mouth he said to Eve was this sentence, did God really say? It's the first thing he said to Eve. Eve is standing there in some form or fashion we don't entirely know, you know, looking at the tree. And, and the snake shows up and the snake says to Eve, did God really say you could not eat from that tree? Did God really say? 
And this is the same question he's been asking ever since. He shows up in our lives and he plants seeds of lies and doubt. And please, everyone hear me. The devil does not need to possess you with a demon if he can just get you to believe lies. Like, and I know we're terrified of that, and I know, depending on what movies and shows you watch or newsletters you're subscribed to or how you grew up or whatever, there's this real fear that somehow there's demonic presence. And, we're, and I promise, we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's real. Jesus confronted it. I get it. But that should not be our biggest concern. We don't need to worry about being possessed by a demon if he can just get us to believe that lies are truth and truth are lies. This is a spiritual demonic attack that you and I face every single day. This is the battle. This is the war. So obviously the question then is, I, th I think this would be the best question then, is how can we know? Okay, Jason, I'm in. Like I'm on the edge of my seat. You got me. How do I know if I'm believing a lie? Because every person who believes a lie not every person, but almost every person who believes a lie doesn't believe it's a lie. They believe it's truth. People who join cults think they're true. When you argue with people you work with or uh, whatever it is, like, and, and you have different points of view, like they're not, just, they're not just antagonizing you. They believe that it's true, and you believe that it's true. And so there's this real tension that we feel. It's like, okay, how do I know if I'm believing a lie? What about the things that I believe are true? Could those be lies? What about the things that I believe are lies? Could those be true? So how do we know? Well, we don't have to guess. I love Jesus and I love the scriptures because we can find the answers that we're looking for. We don't even have to guess. How can we know if we're basing our life on lies? Jesus tells us. He gives us a filter that we can always use. Here's the filter. Jesus says the truth will set you free. So here's the question. Are you free? Based on what you believe to be true about life, are you free? If the truth sets you free, it would be fair to flip it and say that the lies keep you bound. So if you want to know if what you believe about life, I mean the real philosophical, theological questions about life. If you want to know if you're, what you're believing is true or a lie, the filter is always, has this belief made me free or kept me bound? And this can be a tricky question because most of the things we think of as freedom are really just long-term bondage, aren't they? So even as I say that, you're like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, all of the, I mean, I grew up religious, Jason, and I mean, all those things they told me, like, I finally broke free from all of that, and I got out of all of that, and I finally got to live in freedom. But if we're being honest, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, I'm saying let's just be intellectually honest with one another here. If we're being honest, most of the things as we are aging that we look at and say, well, that would be freedom is really just long-term captivity. So, for example, let's say that um, you say, you know what, I don't want to be bound by any financial restraints. I want to spend whatever I want, whenever I want to, however I want to. Okay, go ahead, spend any money you want, whenever you want. But eventually, this is an easy starting point for all of us, you realize that the freedom that you thought you had in never having to say no just leads to you being trapped. Can any of us say, that's true, I'm living right there, yeah. 
I thought that I was just getting to do whatever I wanted to do, and you realize that eventually what you've done is you've just put yourself into a hole, right? We think about, um, we think about uh, sex. Our society says sleep with whoever you want, however you want. But eventually what you discover, after long enough, and this isn't one of those like psychological tricks where it's like you re- you're think you're happy, you're really miserable. No, you may be happy for now, and I'm not even going to try to argue with you the other way. But at some point, you realize that that freedom that you thought that you had really just makes you feel alone. Or write off everybody you disagree with, or run away from your family or religion. But eventually, here's what you find. You traded one group's approval for another group. And you just traded one set of standards for another. No one has a harder time than the lazy. No one experiences more pain than the glutton. No success is shorter lived than for the ambitious. Greed always moves the goalposts. A person who doesn't care what anyone thinks has no one to love. You see what I'm saying? That what our our society defines as freedom the ability to, to break free from any constraint and to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. We say that's freedom, but look around. Look in your life. Look in our society as a whole. Do you feel free? Do you feel free? See, the Bible defines freedom. It's, it's like it's subtle, it's a subtle difference, but it's all the difference in the world. Society says freedom is being able to do whatever you want, but the Bible defines freedom as the ability to not do what you want to do. It's, it's a little word flip, but you got to get this. Society says if you want to be free, then you have no restraint. The Bible says you're never truly free until you want to do something, but you cannot do it. You following me? I want to hang right here for a second because you don't have it yet. Society says, man, you're so locked up. Everybody's got you boxed in. Go do what you want to do. The Bible says all throughout your day and your life, you're going to have urges and, and you're going to have thoughts and ideas and desires. And you're never truly free until you cannot do the thing that you want to do. So freedom is not being able to spend whatever you want. Freedom is wanting to spend but not having to. You with me? Freedom is not being able to sleep with whoever you want to. Freedom is wanting to sleep but being able to not to. Not being able not to. You with me? Freedom is not being able to eat whatever you want. Freedom is wanting to eat whatever you want but being able not to. You're never truly free until you can be in charge of your decisions. And this is where it gets tricky because our society says you are free. You choose to be you and do what you want to do. But I think if we're being intellectually honest, we would say the longer we live, that most of the things that we don't have control over now were at one time choices that we chose based on our own free will. At one time in my life, it was a choice. Now I don't feel like I have the power to choose anymore. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Jesus says this kind of freedom, 
the kind of freedom to have power over your urges and your impulses, the kind of freedom that can not do the things that feel impossible not to do, that kind of freedom only comes from believing the truth. There's only one way to have that kind of freedom. It's believing the truth. And so here's how I want to end today. And I know you probably got more questions than we've gotten to, and we'll, we'll spend some more time over the next few weeks. But here's how I want to end today. I want to ask you one question. And my prayer is that this question will nag you all week long. Seriously, I prayed that last night. God, I pray this question would, would nag them all week long. Haunt you. Just stick in your head and not be able to get out. Here's the question. What lies are you believing? What lies are you believing? Because if it's true, and it is, that we are in a war, and we are, and if it's true that the devil hates you and wants to destroy you, and he does, and his main form of attack is by making lies sound like truth and truth sound like lies, then the best place we could start in this battle is to honestly ask the Holy Spirit to help us realize and uncover the, the lies that we are convinced are true. Lies about money. Lies about power. Happiness. Sexuality. Love. Beauty. Identity. The way that we see the world, these are our deeply held beliefs. We talk about this a lot around here. These are our deeply held beliefs. The way we see the world, the way we believe the world works. And there are lots of us in the room who believe lots of things very confidently and strongly. Is it possible? Is it possible? That you are certain of a truth that's actually a lie. And you're certain that a lie certain of a lie that is actually true. Let me ask it to you this way. Same question, different way to ask it. What inconvenient truth do you believe that puts you at odds with the world? Let's ask it that way. If it's true that, and we haven't had time to talk about this, but if it's true that Satan is the god of this age, that Satan kind of, his domain is the earthly realm, then that means that if we are believing the truth of God, I'm not saying we're martyrs, we have it really good in America, but I'm saying if it's true, and it is, that, that his domain is this world, this earth, then that means that me believing the truth of God will at some level be inconvenient and put me at odds with the spirit of this world. Are you with me? Okay? So as you go through your week, my prayer is that God will begin to open your eyes and your heart to the battle that is happening all around you. As you begin to see yourself in this battle, I pray that you will see yourself as a high target. I pray that as you scroll through social media or you watch the news or you're talking to your friends, I pray that you would have new ears and new eyes, not just to see this as an exchange of information, but to see it as a strategy of the enemy to make truth sound like lies and lies sound like truth. 
The devil would love nothing more than to attack you. And again, he's probably not going to do it through a Ouija board or a satanic trance. He's going to do it with lies that seem harmless and noble. And so my prayer for you and me this week is that we will see those lies with new eyes like we've never seen them before. My prayer, honestly, this is the language I put to it last night when I was praying. As I said, God, I pray that we would leave this week and we would begin to see lies as landmines. Preachers like to do that same letter thing, lies and landmines. And so this was what was in my head is like, God, as I'm going through my week this week, don't let me be naive. Don't, don't, don't let me be naively optimistic. Help me to see the lies that are in my life as landmines that potentially would blow up my life. And everybody hear me, and we will definitely talk about this. We don't have to be defensive. We don't have to be afraid, but we shouldn't be naive either. Please hear that. I hope what you take away from today is not like, oh my gosh, like I'm so scared, like there's a battle going out there and I'm going to lose. No, 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 no. If you are a Christian, this is the beautiful thing. Jesus Christ has already won the battle. So we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be afraid of the power of the enemy, but we should not be naive about it either. We should not be naive. So God, open my eyes and help me see the lies that I am believing are true. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have the opportunity to take communion and pray. There'll be prayer team workers up here. Matter of fact, the, the, the worship team is going to sing a new song uh, that I asked them to sing um, called uh, Already Won or Battle I've Already Won. I can't remember the name of it. But in essence, it just says what I just said, that we serve and worship a God that has already won the battle. He's already won the battle. And so as you come forward today, if you'd like to do communion, you don't have to, but as you come forward today and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, you know, every, every, every week we get to come to the table and there's always something new. There's something else we can remember, something else about our faith. And here's what I want to challenge you this week. As you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, I want you to remember or maybe take an opportunity to thank God that because his body was broken and his blood was shed, he overcame death, hell, the grave, evil, and darkness. And we do not have to live in fear because our God has already conquered evil. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have an opportunity to do that. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you do not leave us on our own to fight, to survive. But, God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to overcome the enemy that wants to take hold of my soul. And so, God, there, I pray for every person in the room right now, God, there's so many different backgrounds, so many different thoughts running around in our head and our heart. And, God, I just pray more than anything else, God, I pray that we would leave here with a, with a certainty, knowing that there is an enemy that wants to get to us. But, God, that we would leave with a confidence that we do not have to be afraid because you've already won. I pray, God, that you would help us to see with fresh eyes the lies that we're believing are true. And the truth that we are believing that are actually lies. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.